You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. How's everybody doing? You know, hey, uh, this was a surprise. Uh, Like, really a surprise, you know? I was at another church this morning, and then uh, I heard this guy talking on the phone. I thought, oh my goodness, who is this guy? If it wasn't for... uh, you know, some sort of identification. I, I would have hung up on the guy, but it was it was Ryan and stuff. And so, you know, baseball they 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 have a position. It's called a utility player. You know, I basically you know comes in and stuff. Well, here I am. <laughs> so, if you have notes on giving and on you know ownership, discard those because we're going a whole other way here today. Okay. And I'm always so glad when people are in the splash zone up here close. So that's, you know, that, that's awesome. Hey, you know, I know we prayed and, and all that, but boy, I tell you, I think we need the Spirit of God to come on mightily upon us here, especially on this message that uh, we don't leave here disappointed in God. You, be, you can leave disappointed in me like crazy, but not in Him. Hey, what do you say we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for North Valley, and we do lift up Ryan. Oh, Lord, we love the dude. And we just ask in Jesus' name that you just uh, restore him very, very quickly, Lord, how he loves us. We're just so thankful, Lord. I just, uh, we're so thankful for him. And so, Lord, now as I open up the word, I pray, Lord, that you might open up our eyes to, to just a divine encounter. Uh, Lord, Nothing takes you by surprise. Nothing is unexpected. It is for us, but it's not for you. So, Lord, this, I believe, is God-ordained today. So, Lord, may you be pleased. And when we leave here, Lord, I ask that we might just be saying to one another, or at least in our hearts, Oh, God, you are good. Oh, God, you showed up. Oh, God, I want to get closer to you. So, Lord... Pray all this, and I pray it in this precious name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, you know, uh, this is uh, some things that I shared just three weeks ago at another church. And so it's fresh, and it's new, and it's, it's something that I worked through and stuff. And I'll tell you what, I was very, very convicted. And I'm driving up here, and I said, yes, this is exactly it. Because this church was going through the, the teaching in Revelation about the seven churches of Revelation. There in, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there are seven churches that are talked about by the Apostle John. And he basically, those churches are churches there in central Turkey. Uh, and, and these seven churches were uh, uh, talked about and listed, I think in many ways, because the principles and the things that they were going through have application for us right here, right now. In fact, that's the exciting thing about God's Word. I roll up my sleeves, I look at God's Word, and I say, yes, that's me. Yes, that's me. Yes, that's me. And that's how we need to look at the Scriptures, because John may not have been thinking about North Valley, but frankly, the principles there are exactly for us. And so I'm excited about it, and, 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 and of the seven churches, by the way, that are talked about, seven churches, five of them had some problems. Jesus committed them for a few things, but basically said, but I got this against you. Hey, this is the thing you need to really work on. But there were two churches that he didn't say you have to work on it. They were doing good. And that's one of the ones I want to talk about. It was doing great. But... The principles and what he's talking about here are kind of chilling. 
I don't have any notes, obviously, for the screen, so you're going to have to follow strongly. I'd like you to open up your device, open up your Bible, and we're going to take a look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And please, 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 if you learn nothing else today, it's not Revelations. It's Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ given to the Apostle John, now for us. And it's Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And this is great. To the angel of the church of Smyrna, right? And the angel is the word angelos. And it basically is talking about, hey, to the leader, to the pastor, okay? To the angel of the church of Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who was first and last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Wow. Let us pray and leave. No, no. This is, this is pretty heavy-duty stuff here, okay? And by the way, I remember years ago listening to a comedy sketch, and, and it, was, it was one of these things where, where you know, the, the kids were in tow at the grocery store, and mom was just at the end of her rope, you know, and I, I can still remember, you know, the, the, the comedian, you know, just describing the veins in her neck because the kids were pushing the buttons and, you know, all over the place and there were, there were things. And for that mother, enough finally came to her, you know, and enough came right after stop or I'm going to tell your dad or, you know, something like that. But there's this idea of enough. Have you ever felt that way, that just enough, enough? I've been going through things in my life, God, enough. You know, I mean, when I was a kid, I knew when my mom had enough of me. You know, she, she used my middle name. In fact, I'm not even going to tell you what my middle name is because I'm still traumatized, <laughs> okay? But enough, you know, when, you know, when my kids were growing up and stuff, they knew when I had enough because I couldn't even say their name. I, I, I would go through the list of four kids trying to come up with the one I'm really upset at, and I, I'd end up calling them the dog or whatever. They knew I had enough. This message today to the church in Smyrna and to us here at North Valley is basically for you and I when we've said to ourselves, enough. I've had enough struggle with my money situation. I've had enough persecution. I've had enough difficulties. In fact, it is so hard right now. I'm about ready to bail on you, God. I'm about ready to bail on my family, whatever it is. It's that situation where you and I say, enough. I'm tired. I, I can only take so much. Well, here we go. Have you ever thought just before you say those words enough, I wonder what God is thinking about my situation. Is he thinking anything at all? Here's the passage. The church of Smyrna, there in central Turkey, is living under this pressure and persecution where I just have to believe they were saying the same thing in their heart. This is it. This is enough. 
I, I don't know. And history will record that that church was experiencing difficulty probably unlike any other church in the area. It was, it was incredible. Many of them are, are thinking that, that, that whole thing. So now God is going to give a message to them. It was so good. And God's going to really encourage them. And he basically says, you ready? You ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get worse. I, <laughs> come on. Can you? I'm an encourager by heart, by nature. That ain't any encouragement. It, it just isn't. The city of Smyrna, you know, a long history behind it. It was started, you know, some uh, thousand years earlier when this was written, okay? Second century before Christ, this city had developed into one of Rome's strongest allies, okay? As the Roman Empire spread out, Smyrna was, was known for one of the strong relationship, you know, that, to the Roman Empire and so on. And they gained more strength. Smyrna was one of the most beautiful cities in the day. Historians... They, they say that Smyrna was the most elegant. In fact, that word is used over and over again in the history of Smyrna. The most elegant city that the Greeks ever built. Kind of an interesting history. The city basically sloped down toward the sea, okay? Uh, they had an amphitheater there, okay? An amphitheater that held 22,000 people, one place. Give you an idea, okay? Talking stick, you know, that you've gone to? Holds 18,000, okay? Give you a perspective. This thing is massive, okay? And it was there, it was there in Smyrna that worship to Caesar really, really took a high point. As a matter of fact, Kaiser, you know, uh, Curios, Caesar is Lord, was spoken by everybody, whether they were a business person or whether they were just a resident, whatever it is. It was Kaiser Curios. It was, it was this idea that Caesar is Lord. So, those people like you and me who knew Jesus, okay, this fledgling church, they embraced what was going on there. And because they embraced Jesus, okay, that's what they're embracing, and they became marked men and women, they were known, listen to this, as traitors to the Roman government. Now imagine this. You and I, just for following Jesus, just for our relationship to Jesus, Imagine now you are a traitor and you were marked by everybody, not only in the government, but your neighbors. Oh, those people, right? I know them. I know them. They're some of those. That's what's going on. Okay. And that's the kind of the situation. Okay. And I'm going to give you the, the real deal here. Some Christians in that early church were placed in a rack that had chains and they were stretched and every time a believer would deny the Lord, the chains were tightened to such an extent that their arms were ripped from their bod. Okay, I hate to get gross. Well, no, I love being gross sometimes. Others were thrown to lions. Others were literally cooked alive in boiling pots of hot oil. And we think we're persecuted today. These guys had a market on what persecution was about. And believe it or not, folks, there's only one primary point that I want you to take away from this message with all that, that's going on. And this is the thing to hold on. Write it down. Put it into your little tablet right now. Here it is. How you endure hardships matter more than what hardships you endure. 
I'm going to repeat it. You got to write this down. This is the, this is the go-to theme of this whole thing. How you endure hardships matters more than what hardships you endure. Because all of us right here, we have our comparison thing. Hey, you don't know what I went through. You don't know the divorce. You don't know the this. You don't know the that. You don't know the health concerns. All of us here in this room have our own thing. And what God would have us pick up today is how we endure hardships actually in real life matters more than what hardships we endure. So let's dive into the passage. If you've got your, your Bible open here, you know he's, he starts off and Jesus is saying this and he says, I know your afflictions. Now hold on to that word. That's another word to write down. The Greek word translated affliction here and, and found in other passages in the New Testament is the word trouble, tribulation, burden. It has this idea of being pressed, this idea of being pressured, this idea of being painfully squeezed. In fact, this is the word, okay, it's the word thalipsis, okay? It's the word thalipsis, and the word here referred to the stones that were used to press grapes into wine, it was word for stones that crushed wheat. So when he used the word thalipsis, people said, oh, oh, oh yeah, I, I know what you're talking about now. Verse 9 says, and I'll just put the Greek word in there, I know your thalipsis. I know the crushing. I know the pressure of persecution. I know the sorrow. And I know the death that has happened in your fellowship. Did you know this letter that John is writing to the church at Smyrna. Did you know the apostle Paul, not John, but Paul, had spent some time in that exact same area? True. And this is how he described his experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Now, so just imagine, Paul now is talking. And he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in that province in Asia. He's talking about this area. We were under great pressure. <laughs> There's that word again. Far beyond our ability to endure. Don't you get the idea? He's like, enough! Okay. Far beyond our ability to endure so that we even despaired of life. That word translated hardships in that verse is the same Greek word that's translated afflictions here in John, or in, in Revelation. Paul said of the things in Asia that they became so tough that he and others with him were hoping for death to put an end to the suffering. And, and then Jesus doesn't stop there. I told you this is going to be a real happy message, right? Okay. He goes on and he says, I know your poverty. And the, the word there is actually the word which means to reduce to begging. To be so poor that now you, a, a shop owner, now you with a 401k have been reduced to begging. That's the word that's used here. So you might ask the question, why were these saints so poor? You know, Smyrna, like I said, was one of the richest cities around. And yet the believers in Smyrna had been reduced to begging. 
Here are some of the reasons. They were severely persecuted. They were not allowed to work. No trade union would have them because you're a believer, and you're a believer, and you're a believer. And that doesn't go along with what Caesar wants. Therefore, I'm not going to shop at your store. Or therefore, you can't be an employee with this Jewish shop maker over here, or this Roman shop maker. You're ostracized. You can't be part. You're not going to be hired. They're boycotted. And they began living in destitution. And the text says, I know your thalipsis, the pressure, the agony which you live, and I know your poverty. And then there's this qualifying statement that blows me away. You know, I've said this before. I know Ryan has said it. When you go to the Word, you know, you've got to ask yourself the question, I wonder what's going on there. Because he goes on after saying, I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. And then he says, but you're rich. That's insane. Here it is. The Bible is insane. No, it's not. Why? Why? Because in Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, I believe that he says you are rich. And it's this contrast. Smyrna considers you poor. The Jews are slandering you. The persecution of the Romans have robbed you. I know the pain of your poverty. I know the pain of being penniless. But you haven't lost anything. You've not forfeited the real riches, the real spiritual wealth that is yours. You are rich in ways that nobody else understands. And if you think that just as a follower of Jesus, you're the only one that gets this, oh, not, not, not true. My favorite Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, everybody goes, oh, it, it is. This is my favorite. You do it religiously every year. Got to, got to look at it. Harry Bailey, okay, who is the brother of George Bailey, okay, would have died as a young boy if it hadn't been for his big brother, George, who, who, who goes in, 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 into the water and, and saves him, and he loses his hearing and stuff. Here's this George Bailey. His whole life was not what he expected. His whole life, everything. He wanted to travel. He wanted this. He wanted all these kind of things, right? And none of it turned out the way he wanted. And at the end, old Mr. Potter... He really put the screws to him. Now he's, he's wanted. You know the story because you've seen it a bazillion times and so on. But here's the deal. At the end, Harry raises his glass to George. As everybody's there and everybody is given to him. Everybody loves on him and everybody's crying and everybody's great and stuff. He raises and he says these words. A toast to my big brother George. Come here. The richest man in town. That's what God was saying to these people. You think you're poor. You think all that kind of thing. But guess what? You have riches that nobody else knows about. I don't always get goosebumps. I just did just now. Because all of us have lived there. I needed this. I wish this. Oh, how come that didn't happen? Oh, boy. You guys tithe. I hope you do, because I think it's a biblical foundation thing. 
And sometimes it's, wait, wait a minute, you know, I'm giving away money to the church and to missionaries and all those kind of things. You know, if I kept that, I'd be a little bit richer. And it just goes contrary to God's economy that most people will never understand. You have riches other people don't know about, just like Smyrna. By the way, just a little bit of explanation. Just, you know, <laughs> just so, and by the way, you guys back there got to let me know because I'll preach for about two hours. So just let me know. Just, you know, go, you know, give me that, you know. A little bit of explanation because verse 10 says this. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. By the way, here's the deal. What's the 10 days? <laughs> You're going to suffer for 10 days. Okay, I'm on year number three. I guess this isn't accurate here. No, no, no. 10 days, what, what does it mean? Some people claim that Jesus was talking about 10 24-hour days. Could be. I don't know. Could be. Some people believe Jesus was prophetically talking about 10 Roman emperors that would come and go. You're going to have to suffer through all this lineage of Roman emperors. I don't know. Could be. But you know what I believe? And I think the text kind of records this. I believe this number 10 had to do with intensity. You ever been, you know, in a hospital bed, you know, and the doc comes up to you and says, hey, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much pain are you in? And naturally, if you're a guy, you're about 9 or 10 if you're a, a lady, you're at rep four. You know, same pain. There's just some, something about us guys. I'm just telling you. I think he's talking about intensity. I think he's talking about the, the pain of poverty, the pain of affliction, the thalipsis is at a level 10. I don't know if it's true or not. I'm just giving you my opinion. I always try to tell you if it's my opinion, but that actually makes sense with what we know historically about this church. What's more... Jesus calls for the church to be faithful through these times in your life and in my life. You see, Jesus knows that as bad as it has been, it's probably going to get worse. They've already endured physical you know, persecution. They've lost their jobs, all those kind of things. Yet they knew that it's going to get worse. Jesus did. Some Christians in Smyrna would be thrown in the prison. Some thrown to hungry, hungry irons, like I was saying. Boiled in oil. Uh, crucified. Crucified with... Uh, by the way, some would be covered with animal skins tortured to death by wild dogs. Is that crazy? If you've never read, you know, a, a abridged edition to Fox's Book of Martyrs, not a bad read. I mean, it's a hard read, but it talks about those uh, persecuted for their faith throughout the centuries. It's very, very interesting. Some would be burned at the stake. One of the most famous martyrs of the early church to be burned alive was a dude named Polycarp. Do you know who Polycarp was? Isn't it interesting that he was the pastor of the church in where? Smyrna. Oh, is it? I did not know that. Now you do. And it's interesting. It recorded there in Fox's Book of Martyrs. This is Polycarp's uh, answer 
when he was facing death for not denying Jesus. And he said, I refuse to do that. He says, 86 years I have served him and I never did he ever do me injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? They then piled wood around him and he's there by a stake and they're about ready to nail his hands into the stake so he wouldn't get off of the fire. And he then says, and it was recorded, leave me as I am. For he that gives me strength to endure the fire will also enable me, without your securing me by nails, to remain without moving from the pile. Wow. Wow, here's the key. Jesus knew all that was going to happen, the crucifixions, the burnings, and all those kind of things. And by the way, this passage doesn't go into the details of what history records. And I think part of it is for you and I, so that we can put our own situation right there into the text. I mean, oh, he must not be talking about me. I've never been burned at the stake. Oh, not talking about me and never been boiled in oil. I think he basically is generic here so that you and I can enter in. Why? Because that always goes off in the middle of a sermon. No. Because how we endure hardships matters more than what hardships, finish it with me, we endure. Okay? It's not that Jesus doesn't care about the specifics of what you and I are going through. He does. But he wants you to know this morning that there are bigger things afoot. And the passage goes on, and you'll see two parallel promises here. Two parallel promises. Number one, if they remain faithful, they'll be given the crown of life. And by the way, Jesus tells us that the crown of life is for all those who love God. James chapter 1, verse 12. Number two, here's the parallel. If they overcome, they will not be touched by the second death. Now listen to this. A lot of people don't get this. When we die, okay, and we die, and we leave our physical bods, that is the first death, okay? When you receive your judgment in this life, and that judgment is not heaven, that, men and women, is the second death. And for those of us in Christ, we'll never see that. Isn't that cool? You know, you see this first death, second death, and stuff, it's just really clear in the Scriptures. That was true in the church of Smyrna, and that's true in North Valley. Because how we endure hardships matters more than what we endure. Okay? Don't be like those people who let trouble come between them and the Lord. Oh, man, I used to really walk there close to God, but, oh, man, I lost my pension, and so I'm still so mad. You know, I, I, I used to really, you know, my wife and I used to go to church all the time and stuff like that, but, you know, she got squirrely and stuff, and so I, hey, I'm, I'm not going anymore. I don't care. Don't let adversity and difficulty move you away from Jesus. Let those very things drive you closer to Him. There's a reason why Jesus commended this church in Smyrna. Because they were in the middle of all this and they did okay. Okay. 
There's a video clip, and if I had time, I would have given it to you guys. But I'll tell you about it, because you probably have seen it. I'm a real movie guy. I tell you guys that every time I'm here. I love movies. I have a good friend here. He's here in the church and stuff. He gives me Harkins, you know, passes. I love that dude. I love that dude. Anyway, you guys have probably seen it. It, it, It's taken from the Christian movie, Facing the Giants. That came out, what, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, something like that. A lot of Christian movies, you know, in the past were, you know, they're okay acting with, uh. boy, something's happened here in the last decade. And all of a sudden there is, wow, wow, I want to see that, or the chosen or whatever it might be, you know, and, and you, you get excited about it. I kind of got excited about this. Because in the middle of this facing the giants, and I'll just set it up for you guys, here is a, a, a team that is just far away, not only from God, but, you know, of wanting to do a championship or anything like that. And here comes the coach. His job's on the line and so on. And he, he really wants to bring Jesus back into the whole thing. But he also wants to bring this idea of, per, uh, of, of persistence and endurance back into the team's value system. And they happen to be on the gridiron, they're on the fo- football field and stuff, and they're all sitting around and, and uh, they're talking about their next game against somebody who is so much better than they are. And one guy that the coach is looking to, to be the leader going forward, his name was Brock, he just kind of throws out a thing and says, oh, not that team. And the coach challenges them, do you, do you think... Uh, do you think we're going to do any good against them? Uh, I don't know, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Will you give me your all? Oh, yeah, I'll give you my all. No, no, he gets in his face. Will you give me your all? Yes, I'll give you my all. Okay. Then I want you to get on the goal line, and we're going to do a death crawl. How far do you want me to go, coach? 20 yards? I'll go 30. Then he asks one of the kids to get on his back. And for those of you who don't know where the death crawl is, it's where you're on all fours, you can't put your knees on the ground, and you have to walk, kind of crawl like this. So now he starts crawling. But before he does, the coach blindfolds him. He gets on the goal line, has a guy on his back, and he starts going. And the guy's big, he's buff, and he's going across, and he goes about 10 yards, 15 yards. All of the teammates are just doing catcalls and all the rest over here. They're just looking, laughing, and having a good old time and stuff. And Brock is, you know, he's working it hard. He gets to about the 25, 30-yard line and stuff, and he says, that it, coach. No, keep on going. You told me you were going to give me your all. And so he gets down, and he starts encouraging Brock. You can do it. Give me your all. You promised to give me your all. Keep on going. Keep on going. Keep on going. Gets so redundant. And all of a sudden, what you see, this is cool, is all these other teammates who were disengaged on the sideline, they take notice. As he goes to about the 50-yard line and stuff, they, they can't believe it. They stand up now. He keeps on going. Now they start following and at the end, Brock just gives up. He says, I got nothing else, coach, and he's crying. And the coach says, take off your blindfold. You're at the goal line. He went 100 yards with somebody on his back. 
And what I want you to know about that little story is all those disengaged people who are watching from the sidelines all of a sudden became so engaged and they came down and they were as excited as the coach. When you and I go through difficult times, when we go through those times that, that are, are hard, those times that, that it's just not fair, you have no idea how many people are watching us. Mark it down. There are those who are skeptics and unbelievers, and they're watching you as you endure hardship. There are spiritually curious people, and they are watching you and me as we endure hardship. And we need to understand that the most effective and amazing time of evangelism and the growth of the church always, I hate to use the word always, always occurred when the church, when individuals were going through difficult times. You can mark it down over 2,000 years of history that every time there was a bump in the church, every time the church expanded, every time the kingdom of God did something that, that nobody could even imagine, you drill down and you find out that they were in the middle of difficulty because it doesn't matter what you go through, it matters how you go through it. We're different. We're not Rotary Club. We're not Kiwanis. We're not, those are great organizations. We're different. We're the church. And skeptics are looking through the picket fence of North Valley. And they're asking, how, how, how do you do it? How do you as a believer go through what you're going through? And it's at that moment they say, give me a little of that. That's what I want. There's not one human being around that doesn't secretly in their heart of hearts say, I want to have that in my life. That's why this is so amazing. I believe that because of this whole hardship thing, that God even allowed to Smyrna is one of the reasons why C.S. Lewis talked about in the problem of pain, his book, he says, God knows that when Christians endure hardship well, others notice. And their receptivity to the message of Christ dramatically increases. And I just got to say, people are watching you, and they're watching me. And even more, God is watching us. Because there's a simple coincidence as well. That the word Smyrna, that church, that city, that town, comes from a Greek root. And it's the root of myrrh. You know, one of those three things that the Magi came, they gave frankincense, mmm, good smelling stuff. They gave gold, hey, I know what to do with that. But they gave myrrh, the very thing that's used to embalm dead people. Smyrna comes from that word myrrh.
2 Timothy 2.3 says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier in Jesus Christ. Romans 8.28 that everyone here is familiar with, many have probably memorized, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. And of course, the all things also includes hardships. Hebrews 12, one of my faves. Hebrews 12 tells us in verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, listen, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle, Bob Lehman, in your struggle, North Valley, against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Big stuff. Well, we're about done. We're going to do communion. But I came across a poem. Some of you have heard it before. That so tells me how I want to run the race that God has called me to. Bear with me as I share the poem with you. The race. Whenever I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. A children's race, young boys, young men, how I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win the race or tie for first, but if not that, at least to take second place. Their parents watched from off the side, each cheering for their son, and each boy hoped to show his folks that, hey, he'd be the one. The whistle blew and off they flew like chariots of fire to win. To be the hero there was each young boy's desire. One boy in particular whose dad was in the crowd was running in the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as he speeded down the field, he crossed a shallow dip, and the little boy who thought he'd win lost his step and slipped, trying hard to catch himself as arms flew every place. In the midst of laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. As he fell, his hope fell too. He couldn't win it now. Humiliated, he just wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, get up and win the race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall, so anxious to restore himself to catch up and to win. His mind went faster than his legs, and he slipped, and he fell again. Oh, he wished he had quit before with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I shouldn't even try to race. But through the laughing crowd, he searched, and he found his father's face with a steady look that said again, get up and win the race. So he jumped up to try again, 10 yards behind the last. If I'm to gain those yards, I thought, I've got to run really fast. Exceeding everything he had, he regained eight and then 10, but trying hard to catch the lead, he slipped and he fell again. Defeat. He lay there silently, a tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense of running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out, why try? I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. 
Get up, an echo sounded low. You haven't lost at all for all you have to do to win is to rise each time you fall. Get up, the echo urged him on. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win the race. So up he rose to run once more, refusing to forfeit. He resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been, he still gave it all he had and ran as though to win. Three times he'd fallen stumbling. Three times he rose again. Too far behind to hope to win, he still ran to the end. They cheered another boy who crossed the line and won first place, head high, proud and happy, no falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line in last place, the crowd gave him a greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bowed low, unproud, you would have thought he won the race to listen to the crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now, when things seem dark and bleak, and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my own race. For all of life is like that race with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is to rise each time you fall. And when depression and despair shout loudly in my face, another voice within me says, get up and win the race. It doesn't matter what hardships you're going through. Jesus cares. But what matters more is how you endure them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for gathering us together here. This is a message for all of us. And I pray that we leave here lifted up with renewed strength. I happen to believe there are some people here today who have been on the edge of saying enough. And perhaps today, they've gained a new understanding, a deeper commitment, a deeper love for you. And oh God, I pray that in each of our hearts, you showed up to allow us to be the man, the woman, the boy, the girl that you designed us to be. We pray in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Everybody said, Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.